This is a sermon from New City Presbyterian Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. To learn more about New City or to hear more sermons in this series, visit newcitycincy.org. Good morning, New City. Good morning. My name is Ryan Zhang, one of the pastors here. Welcome to service number two of our four services today. Kids, good to see you in us uh, in the service with us. And if you're visiting your friends and family from out of town, we're especially glad you could join us this morning. I am strictly ordered to preach for no more than 20 minutes so that we could go home and catch our beauty nap before we come back for the afternoon services. We continue our Advent series today on the characters of Christmas by looking at Mary. But I want to first point you to the attention to the front of your bulletins or to the banners up here. Uh, one Monday, I came into church and saw these banners for the first time, and my immediate thought was, a Chinese Jesus. And as you can tell, the, you know, the outfit, the hairstyle, even the colors depict a Chinese mother and child. And now typically, if there were any sorts of Eastern characters in the nativity scene, it would be one of the Magi's, right, who came from the East. But I bet that not many of you have seen a Chinese Jesus. And actually, I just saw an article this week talking about how different Asian cultures depict nativity through the ages, all the way back to the 1200s. It's quite fascinating. Now, I want to put on record, this has nothing to do with me. Pastor Brian found the painting and then purchased it and put it up here. But it's indeed painted by a Chinese artist. His name is He. Everyone say Herti. Herti. Herti is the first artist to receive a religious PhD, religious art PhD in China. And his art focused, prim, focused primus, primarily on, primarily on biblical stories. So here's a picture of Jesus calming the storm. And a picture of the Israelites crossing the Red Sea. Here's David and King Saul. And the last one's a painting of the prodigal son coming home. And you can see them, they all contain lots of Chinese artistic features. And apparently many churches have tried to commission Herchi to paint pictures in the Western style, but he refused. People wanted him to paint like da Vinci because they felt that da Vinci's Jesus would be more authentic. Of course, the irony is that the historical Jesus and Mary from ancient Israel didn't look like the paintings of da Vinci or Michelangelo or most of the religious art in our local art museum either. But that's a big misconception in the world, that Christianity is a Western religion. And there was once a saying in China that says, one more Christian, one fewer Chinese. One more Christian, one fewer Chinese. Because people didn't understand what the Christian gospel had to do with the Chinese culture. And that's why Herti insisted on painting on Christian arts with Chinese characteristic. He wanted to show people that the gospel is for the world. It affects the Chinese people as much as for the Westerners. Jesus is the Savior for the Chinese as much as he is the Savior for Americans. And I tell you all this not, because, not only because it's personal to me, it also has something to do with our story today. Because hers, he did not grow up painting pictures of Jesus. He grew up painting pictures of Chairman Mao. He lived through the days of Chinese Cultural Revolution. And when young people were forced into hard labor in the countryside, 
And one of the ways for people to escape hard labor is by painting pictures of Mao. So her tea, study art and learn about colors and strokes and lining, experimenting with how to paint better pictures of Mao. And one day he came across an old art magazine with a picture of Raphael's Madonna and Child. And the peace and serenity and gentleness from Mary's face gripped his heart, maybe something like this. He was living in a tumultuous time in China, and his mom actually suffered a mental breakdown because she was looking at so many pictures of Mao. But the peace he found in this picture of Jesus and Mary sustained him. And so he would paint pictures of Mao during the day, and then at night he would secretly learn to copy Raphael's Madonna and Child. And finally, a friend found his secret paintings and told him the story about the virgin birth in the Christian gospel. And that was the beginning of Herchi's faith story. And he came to know Jesus as the Prince of Peace, went on to study art and theology, and dedicate his life to making art for God. So we have this painting here today because a Chinese artist was touched by Mary and Jesus. So whether you believe in Jesus or not, you've heard the story before of his virgin birth. It's told every December with angels and magis, lights and presents and music and joys and cheers and sometimes even live animals. It's become almost like a fairy tale. I'm not going to be sharing anything new today, but I do hope to just remind you all how tragic this story could be. Now Mary was just a young woman living in a small village in ancient Israel. She was betrothed to a carpenter. If the angels had not visited her, she would just go on to get married and have a few average kids. And even the way the Bible introduces her shows how ordinary she is. Here's how Luke introduces her. The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Though she was identified by her name last, because that was the least important factor about her. Instead, here's what Luke highlights about her. She lives in a small town in Galilee named Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? She's betrothed to a man named Joseph, who is from the house of David, so it's her fiancé's lineage that made Mary special. But that will become an important part of the Jesus story later on. But at this point in Mary's life, it's nothing special. Because even though Joseph is the descendant of a king, he's just an ordinary, obscure carpenter in a small town at this point. And Jesus will live most of his life as an obscure carpenter in a small town. And lastly, Mary was identified as a virgin. And the fact that he's a, she's a virgin is repeated twice here. And Mary herself later would say that she has never known a man. Now, this repetition was not to highlight Mary's purity or sinlessness. It's mentioned here to highlight the miraculous nature of Jesus' birth. Because the angel has some shocking news for Mary. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. He'll be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now let's look at these statements one at a time. Okay? The angel says the baby's name is going to be Jesus. 
Okay, he's he will be called the Son of the Most High. That's a divine attribute. He's going to be the Son of God. He will have the throne of his father David, reign over the house of Jacob. So he will inherit the royal throne, coming down from Joseph's lineage, ruling over his people in Israel. That's a human attribute, an earthly kingdom. But then it says he will rule over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will have no end. And that's another divine attribute because no human being can rule forever and have an everlasting kingdom. So you see, there are several miracles wrapped into one here. Now, Mary will give birth to a son as a virgin. This son will also be God's son. And yet he will also be both human and God at the same time. Now, Mary has sent. Mary has seen plenty of humans. She's heard about God in the, his, in the history of Israel. But this type of God-man has never existed before. Now, instead of asking for more details, Mary just asks a very practical question. How can this be? I've never been with a man. But behind this biological question, I sense a theological question as well. How can this be? A baby that would be both man and God at the same time coming out of my womb. And the angels want to answer, answer both questions. God's spirit will come upon you and you will conceive a son. So he's born of Mary's womb. He will have the substance and makings of a human being. And yet he's conceived by the Holy Spirit. He will bear the attributes of God. And here's how two famous theologians describe it. If you allow for the possibility of God's existence, then there's nothing illogical about allowing for the possibility of miracles. But it would be easy to become so caught up in the debate of the virgin birth that we miss the larger point. The point of this doctrine is not just that God is so powerful that he can do something miraculous. The point is that he came to earth in the flesh. God came to earth as a man, fulfilling all the expectations and promises the last thousands of years. And to that, Mary didn't protest or protest and just ask more follow-up questions. Maybe she's heard enough. She knows what this means. It's like someone saying to you in America, your child will occupy the White House someday. You immediately know that means your child will become president someday. You know, Mary immediately knew what this meant because she has been immersed in this history of her people. She understands the hope in God's promises to, her, to his people. She knows that God's promise to redeem the world after Adam and Eve disobeyed him. She knows about God's covenant with David, about everlasting kingdom. She knows about God's promise to Abraham that one of his children would bless the whole world. And if you don't know what those promises are, that's okay. That's why you should come back tonight, because we'll read about them tonight. Don't have 20 minutes, so let's move on, okay? Mary knew this child, what this child would be. And the hopes and fears of all the years that would rest on him. Mary, did you know? Of course Mary knows. But you know what Mary didn't know at this point, actually? She didn't know what, would, what this required of her. This is only the beginning of her story. She would bear the suspicion of bearing a child out of wedlock. She'd be persecuted by King Herod. 
And one day she would have her heart pierced as she watched her son beaten and killed. She didn't know about any of that yet, but that didn't keep her from obeying. And her answer was simple: "I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word." And this way, I want to camp out for the rest of our time today. When we pray the Lord's prayer, "Your kingdom come, your will be done." What do we mean by that? Do we simply pray it as a backup, just in case that God doesn't give us what we ask for? Is it just like a gesture of humility? Feels like the right things to say. Oh Lord, bless me with this house, but Your will be done. Oh Lord, I really want that promotion, but Your will be done. Oh Lord, help the Bengals make the playoffs, but Your will be done. Do we really mean it? We see here that Mary actually meant it, even though she will face lots of uncertainties and difficulties, because she knows that God's plan will be done through her, and God's plan is much bigger than whatever she has planned for her life. What if God's plan for the world includes hardship in your life? What if God's way of expanding His kingdom is through your singleness for the next ten? For twenty years, or if God's way of showing mercy to people may cost you half of your saving, maybe all of it. What if God's plan to give hope to non-believers is through your testimony at your spouse's funeral, or your cancer update in Caring Bridge? What if the best way for you to testify your faith is by the way you die? How's that for Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve sermon? You probably came this morning expecting joy to the world and nice pictures. Well, again, that's why I have to come back tonight. But this is technically the last sermon of Advent, and Advent means we're still hurting and aching for the full glory to come. We join these characters of Christmas, waiting for God's plan to unfold, and that's the reality of Christmas. All of these. Characters were asked to do something incredibly hard in order for God's plan of salvation to move forward. Joseph had to become a fugitive to Egypt and raise a son that's not his own. The Magi's had to travel thousands of miles to seek a baby they have never heard of. Mary would one day watch her son die on the cross. But of course, there's one more Christmas character. Tonight will be all about him. In the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus stared into the agony of the cross, and he got. He asked God to remove the suffering from him. He was so frightened that his blood, his sweat, became drops of like blood, drops of blood. But in the end, he said, "Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done." He trusted God like his mother, and all the characters of Christmas said yes to a plan that made their lives much more difficult. God said yes to a tragic fate that would put him on the cross. Perhaps all the characters didn't know what this would require of them. God knew exactly what he's walking into, but he did it for you and for me, for this world that he created and loved from the very beginning. And it's because Jesus did the will of the Father. You and I are now also characters of Christmas. 
He ransomed us from our sins. Salvation came to the world for you and for me, for Michelangelo, for Beethoven, for Hertie. We're all enveloped in this grand narrative, and it gives meaning to your sufferings and heartbreaks. If God had orchestrated, orchestrated thousands of years of history just to prepare for Jesus' coming, He is not going to leave everything afterward to chance. He will continue to work all things to point people to Him. And that means God is not done with this Christmas story. He is not done with you. If you're united with Him in our suffering, then we'll also be raised with Him in great joy. I love the way that day said in His prayer, if you become like one of us, you put on flesh, and the twinkle of an eye will become like your son. And many of you will make New Year resolutions to read the Bible next year, and we would love to do whatever we can to support you in that. The Bible is the story of the world, who God is, how He created the world, how He redeems the world, redeems the world. But you know how much of the Bible is actually directly written about you? Not much. The Bible is about Jesus, not us. Every story whispers His name. But when Jesus prays in John 17 that the people would believe through the words of the disciples, he is directly talking about us. And when he tells the disciples in John 20, blessed are those who believe without seeing him, he's talking about us. And here's one passage in Revelation 7 that also directly talks about us, and they will let that to me by closing words. After this I looked, and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation for all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belong to our God, and sits, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to the springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Amen and amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've sent your Son into the world, born of the Virgin Mary, and he died on the cross for us to make us into the characters of your story that now unfolds through us. We pray that you remind remind us of the story of how great of a cause it is to the Son to bring us into your family and that you give us strength to be obedient to what you are written, what you're writing through our lives to continue the story of Christmas, that we would bring hope to the world as light in the darkness, as you have been a light to the world as we celebrate and remember this tonight and on Christmas Eve. So we pray that you would help us remember these as we partake in the supper right now. pray all these in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from New City, a church in Cincinnati, Ohio. Visit our website at newcitycincy.org for more sermons and resources. That's newcitycincy.org. Thanks for joining us today, and God bless you.